On this episode of Destroy the Shield Generator, James asks, how can a planetary blockade ever possibly be effective? Are we to assume that every planet in Star Wars is the same size as the Earth? And could we beat Darth Maul in Red Rover? Plus, a new edition of It's Gonna Be Great, where James and I develop a Star Wars version of Tiger King, featuring an accidental guest segment from James's wife. All that and more, starting now. This is nice because I'm actually starting this episode with a question. For like once. the last time, how did how did it actually start with education? I don't even know. Let's not get into that because then it's going to become an episode about nothing again. Yeah. Which all of these episodes are about something. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. So here's, this is a classic Joseph and James question. I can't wait. Because I asked this question and you came back with like a very scientific answer. And there are many layers to it. In Star Wars, we're talking about destroying shield generators here because there's a lot of shield generators. If there's something else that appears more in Star Wars, it's probably a planet blockade. Mm-hmm. Those things, that, those are happening all the time. It feels like every planet you go to is a planet blockade. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this before, but planets are quite large. Like, even the small planets are large. How many Texases is a, is a planet? I don't know. I know that Texas was the size of the asteroid in Armageddon. That's right. And they blew it up with a nuclear bomb. <laughs> now, could they blockade that? I don't know, because it's moving pretty fast. <laughs> so let's get to the question. As if planets aren't moving really quickly in their own orbits. Like, it's all the same. Yeah, but they're not moving fast enough to like crash into other things. That's not true. Yes, they are. They're just not crashing into other things. Oh, whatever. Asteroids crash into other things all the time because they're so fast. Am I right? No. Okay, now we're getting off topic like you always do, Joseph. Yeah, that's, all, that's, that's, a, that's a Joseph problem, sure. <laughs> so, the real question here, now that I've gotten us back on track. Uh-huh. How can you properly blockade a planet with only a few ships? I'm okay. This might be the first time that this happens in the history of Destroy the Shield Generator, and maybe the first and, and only time it ever happens. But I completely agree with you here. This is a fantastic question. And I, like, I genuinely, there's no answer for this. No answer. Let, but let's explore why this is so ridiculous, right? Like you said, planets are huge. And to orbit a planet, you, you can be over any part of it. That's, that's basic orbital mechanics. Sorry. I, basic rocket science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, sorry. <laughs> I, I play a lot of Kerbal Space Program. So this, this segment for me is going to be a lot of myself like turning down the jargon meter. So <laughs> The nerdy meter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like... Uh, as we t- let's turn down the nerdy meter and talk about Star Wars. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you, finally. So, yeah, this is something wild. Because typically you see a blockade in Star Wars. And when, I mean, 
let's just take, uh, let's assume that a planet is sort of an at, like an uh, about the size of the Earth. The reason I'm making that assumption is because humans walk around normally. Like, there's not an anomaly with like gravity, right? That's another kind of weird sciency thing, right? Is that you can be on pretty much any planet in the movies or TV shows, and everyone's walking around like it's normal. So that has to indicate that the gravity is similar, which then has to indicate that the, the, the mass and the radius of the planets are similar to the earth. So anyway, so using that as a point of reference. Okay. Yes. This is making sense, right? You're laughing at me, but yes, I kind of get it. Keep going. Let's see if this makes sense. Okay. When you see like images of blockades in star Wars, they are very high above the planet, right? They are not, in what we would call low earth orbit, which is typically about, well, anywhere from like 200 to like 2000 kilometers, um, in the, in the sky. But when you see them in star Wars, you know, you just look at the planet, you can kind of extrapolate that they are probably just like tens of thousands of kilometers in the sky. Mm -hmm. And when you get to that kind of height, you know, picture if, if, if you were going to, if, if you have a, a, a sphere with a bunch of like equidistant dots on it and then you scale that sphere up and have the same dots on it, those dots are going to be further apart on that bigger sphere, right? Right. By actually quite significant differences. That's what you're dealing with, right? Or if you have a group of people holding hands close together yes. and they back up. There you go. Perfect way to put it, yeah. You're going to spread you out. You spread out, you're going to stretch until you can't back up anymore without letting go right that's the yeah i just translated your genius talk into playground games thank you <laughs> red rover red rover yeah. send darth maul right over <laughs> do you think he'd break my arm blockade in red rover oh a hundred percent he's got a lightsaber yeah i'm pretty strong though <laughs> to withstand a lightsaber mm, yep there are your arms made of transparisteel Yes, they okay. are. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, the <laughs> point is is that as high as they are in orbit, this would be the case even if they are in low Earth orbit, but as high as they are up, they are literally covering like a fraction of 1% of the planet's atmosphere. There is so much room to get around them. How can that possibly be effective? It just It, it isn't. Right. And especially like when you watch it, it's like, one, it's like, oh, let's come out of hyperspace. Oh, we flew directly into the blockade. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. Like, I feel like if I were in space, it would be, a, I would have a hard time finding like a cluster of yes. 10 ships. You absolutely would. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, space is bigger than the ocean. <laughs> yes. Space is bigger than like anything. <laughs> Space is bigger than Texas. <laughs> Don't say that to a Texan. I Okay, I won't. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay, so it's a problem that there's only like 10 ships that are part of these blockades. Yeah. It's a problem that they always fly directly into the blockades. And then here's the part that I can't get past. Yeah. I know this happens in Rogue One. And I know it happens other times too. Where there's like the round ship that you have to fly through to get into the planet. Oh, like you mean like the shield generator? That's a shield generator? Yes. Well, what do you know? <laughs> and then like they ask for clearance codes and stuff. Uh -huh. And then there's like always this like 
heart pounding moment of like, are they going to buy it? And then they go through the shield generator into the planet. Yes. Like how can one thing be the entryway to an entire planet? Yeah. So, I mean, that's its own question, right? How do they have a planet wide shield is like its own. Oh, so does that actually explain the blockade issue? Is they just do a one giant shield around the planet? Well, that was only Scarif. So, like, not every planet had that shield around it. In fact, I don't know of any other planets that have a planetary shield. Gotcha. So they just put that shield over, like, the base, like that Citadel Tower and stuff, to protect it. But not every planet has a shield like that. Okay. Most planets you can just fly in and out from wherever in the atmosphere. Unless there's a blockade. Unless there's apparently a blockade. (laughs) But, yeah. So here's what's interesting. I did some math, and I did some research on Wikipedia on this. First of all, blockades are canon. I don't know if that was ever in doubt. And I'm not going to actually read anything about it. Just wanted to let you know that they were canon. Um, According to Wikipedia, at the height of the Galactic Empire, it only included... The Imperial Navy included millions of ships, but the vast majority were simple transports and fighters including like TIE fighters, right? Okay. So they could not effectively blockade any, even if they had millions of ships, that would still be for a planet the size of Earth. Earth is 196 million square miles. That would still be like less than one ship per square mile. In fact, way less than that'd be like one ship for every like about 20 square miles or so. And that's including like individual TIE fighters. Like that is very, 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 what's the term? Like that is not very uh, thick or like dense, right? You can probably poke through that. One TIE fighter every 20 square miles is not going to stop an invasion is my point. Yeah, I can see that. Point taken. So here's 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 the next point. Let's say okay, we can't just use tie fighters everywhere. We got to stick with our capital ships like star destroyers and things that are bigger than that. Also from Wikipedia says at the height of its power, the Galactic Empire operated over 25,000 Imperial class star destroyers, which itself is impressive. Those things are like a mile long. Yeah. Okay. For the Empire to spread out all of its, every single Star Destroyer evenly across the Earth, each Star Destroyer would need to cover roughly 7,900 square miles, which is roughly the size of the state of New Jersey or Massachusetts. That is also feeling kind of ineffective. Yeah, I feel like if there was one... If there was one ship guarding the state of New Jersey, I feel like I could drive my car around that one ship somehow. A car? Like from the ground? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I'm just, I'm trying to put it onto, like, I'm on the ground terms. Like, let's say that there's, let's say there's a mile long barrier Mm -hmm. that's trying to keep me from getting into New Jersey. Yes. I feel like I could get around that. Gotcha. Yes. Right? Yeah. I don't have to be like a super driver to get around it. Right. Okay. That's fair. So how do they have all these blockades all over the place? They're not – so we got to be honest and say that whenever we, we see in Star Wars a planetary blockade, that that's just not feasible. That's just not realistic. What is more feasible 
is blockades over much smaller segments of uh, of a world, right? So blockading a city, for example. Um, we see that in Rogue One on Jeddah, Jeddah City. We see that in Rebels with Lothal. But that's when the destroyers are like right over the top of the planet. Exactly. Like visible right there. Yes. That makes sense to me. Yeah. But if you're up high and you're trying to block one city, like you can just fly down low. You just sneak under it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a thing. So with all of that in mind, are the rebels just that dumb? (laughs) We have to say yes. We got to say yes, right? Yeah. They're like, oh, this planet's blockaded. Let's fly directly into the only place where the ships are. Yeah. Or let's leave. There's no chance for us. <laughs> uh, can't do anything about it. Yeah. Well, dang. Could you imagine how much faster like the Clone Wars or the Rebellion would have defeated the Empire if <laughs> if they were just like, hey guy, like we can just go around. Like it's not <laughs> like it's not a big deal. There's there's just some some guy walks by. He's like, "Hey, why don't let's go to the other side of the planet?" And everybody's all genius. Mm-hmm. He's a brilliant man. He's getting a medal next to Chewie. Yeah, they skip. That's the reason Chewie didn't get a medal. Actually, is they yeah. skipped him to give it to Joe. That's right. So, like, okay, here's this is a different topic, but it's a similar. It's in the. It's in a similar vein. Is like when they're blowing up the Death Star in Episode Four. Why do they need the trench run? Like, they can just aim for the hole from, like, above it, right? Like, why don't they die? Why don't they just, like, dive bomb the thing? It's more accurate anyway. Dive bomb it, like, with the bombers from The Last Jedi. That Well, those aren't dive bombers. Right, but you said bomb, and I know how much you love those bombers. Like, very slow-moving Yeah, bombers. Oh, there's nothing better for a science fiction series where every ship you've ever seen in the entire saga is a really fast efficient you know just maneuverability machine and then they're just like hey let's invent really slow machines (laughs) how about how about we introduce a model of ships that's just way slower and less maneuverable and let's just pack it full of explosives so that one hit just lights it up like a roman candle although they Mm -hmm. wouldn't they wouldn't know what the romans are so no. Like a candle. Just a candle. Yeah. A very, very fiery candle. Yeah. Okay. So why did they do the trench run? Is because that was that was really fun. That's so fun to watch. Yeah. It's so, yeah. It's amazing the more we do this show, how much more you realize like the basic elements of whether it's Star Wars, but even just like cinematics. They aren't practically like this isn't how you would do this in real life. Like if this was really your mission and I mean, I can hear you audience at home saying, oh, it's science fiction. No, I know. Like, let's just pretend that the technology actually exists for like a second. It They'd go about it in such convoluted ways that like anyway, <laughs> I wonder what like uh, like a realistic edit of. You know what I mean? Like if, if they if they like recut some of the movies or some of the scenes and we're just like, oh, there's a blockade. 
oh, let's just go around it. And then like, it just never gets mentioned again. And then they just go to the planet. Yeah. <laughs> like literally, like what, why isn't that just a thing? Uh, they cut, they cut to the empire just sitting off the planet, looking around, not seeing anything. Yeah. And then the next shot is the rebels on the ground. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all it takes. I mean, but this gets to like the challenge of the scale of Star Wars, mm-hmm. like a galaxy far, far away, like a whole galaxy is big. Yeah. How do they ever find each other? What do you mean by they? All of them. Like any species finding any other species? Well, no, like because they develop society and stuff. But they, I mean like the Empire and the Rebels. Yeah. Right? The good guys and the bad guys. Like it's just crazy that they're having these naval battles and uh, and just like bumping into each other in space. Right. Because there's really a lot of room out there. There's, there's tons of room. Yeah. Because like space is big. Galaxies are big. Space is bigger than Texas. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So what we can say is that this question of how can you properly blockade a planet with only a few ships, the answer is with creative liberties. Yeah. Like, do you think if the, if, if the Empire ever told, like, the Rebellion, like, hey, y'all, there's plenty of room out there. You just go have fun. Just don't mess with, just don't bomb us or anything. Like, don't, you know... Don't do anything stupid, but like you're free to just hey explore the far reaches of the galaxy, whatever. Why didn't they just do that? We're yeah. saving them a lot of money and a lot of people. Sure would have, except for the child soldiers that the Empire was taking that the rebels were trying to stop. Well, that's true. You know the whole like oppression thing and justice and hope. Yeah, I guess. So all that said is we've discovered that warfare. And like protecting things in the Star Wars universe is impossible without creative liberties. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to actually take this opportunity to thank friend of the show, Pablo Hidalgo. Pablo, if you're listening. Thank you for the creative liberties. Not even if you're listening. Pablo, we know you're listening. Because you're listening. Because you're listening. We love you. Even if you weren't listening, we'd love you. No, I wouldn't say that. No. Speak for yourself, James, but... He doesn't have... My Chilean-Canadian brother Mm -hmm. does not have to listen to the show for me to love him. There's two things that I know about Pablo Hidalgo. One, he's Chilean. Two, he's He's a Star Wars author. Oh, Oh. Oh, he's a Star Wars... Is he an author? Yeah. Okay. He writes, like, the visual dictionary. He writes all the... uh, Oh, you told me this before. Yeah, he writes all like the the nerdy stuff, and I say that affectionately. Like he 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 writes like the details that he help writes about fill the school in. system and the empire. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. He he fills in the detail. He makes the worlds that like the bigger names create make more sense when you dive in. Thank you, Pablo. It's a it's a thankless job, but Pablo, here we are thanking you. <laughs> This is the weirdest way to sign off on a segment, but I absolutely adore it. All right, Joseph, are you ready? I I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready for this. We're going to do what is, is my favorite segment. We're finally going to revisit it. I've been waiting forever to do this again. And this segment is called, It's Going to Be Great. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And now, It's Going to Be Great 
uh, taken from the the wise words of George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, and George Lucas again, and then Steven Spielberg. Yes. Uh, if you don't remember, this segment is ideas for very. You said very bad Star Wars movies. Um, yeah. But they they could be great Star Wars movies. We assume that they'll be groundbreaking and amazing and great. Yeah. Now, I'm going to stretch the rules a little bit for this one. I can't wait. We say that it's ideas for very bad Star Wars movies. I'm just going to stretch it out to be Star Wars media. Okay. Now, this idea, it's pretty original. It's pretty out there. And it definitely has not been explored before. I feel like, I feel like you prefacing it with all of these things means it's going to be very not original and very much has been done before. We're going to create a, a show existing in the Star Wars universe. Okay. Called... Tauntaun King. And, <laughs> and Tauntaun King is a documentary miniseries about a small number of exotic creature collectors <laughs> and the complicated relationships and rivalries between them. Oh my gosh. So it's Tiger King in space. It's Tauntaun King. It's Tiger King in Star Wars. I'm sorry, Tiger Tiger King? James, of the two of us, you are the one of us that has seen Tiger King on Netflix. <laughs> Which is a crime, by the way. You committed a COVID crime in not watching this. When COVID, when we look up COVID-19 in 20 years, the first paragraph of its Wikipedia page is going to have Tiger King in it. Wow. Okay. Actually, it might have gotten bumped down a little bit after the last few few weeks. But oh, I thought you were going to say it'll have Tauntaun King in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that was during the the Star Wars lockdown. Gotcha. Okay. Which this one kind of was for me. I did watch the whole saga in about a week or so. Any whatever. That's beside the point. Beside the point. Tauntaun King. Tauntaun King. Okay, tell me about it. What's up? Well, you, you gave me like the one sentence synopsis, but yeah, I have to be real. I have not seen Tiger King. So beyond like the very obvious sort of like headlines and like pop culture, like what, what is known by everyone, I don't know anything else about the show. All right. So like at its most basic level, Tiger King, spoiler alerts, everybody that's already seen it. There's two main rivals. There's Joe Exotic and Carol Baskins. Right, Joe Exotic runs his 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 tiger zoo. Carol Baskin runs her tiger rescue place that looks exactly the same as Joe Exotic's thing. She treats her animals the same, but she's a tiger rescuer, where Joe breeds them in in his zoo. And uh, Carol thinks that she's better than everyone because she's like this rescuer. She's like a PETA activist and stuff. And then you see like all these weird exotic pet collectors and like this whole network of them and like the rivalries that they form and then investors that come into play. And then true story, Carol Baskins kills her husband and feeds him to tigers. What? Yes. I mean, it's debatable, but it's not. Everybody knows it happened. It's true. You got to watch this show. You hate everybody in it. Oh my gosh. I, uh, you've never heard that tiger, ba that tiger Baskins, that Carol Baskins killed her husband and fed him to tigers. I heard that her husband had died. I didn't. Oh, she killed him. I didn't know that she killed him. And where's his body? Is that a thing? Nobody knows where his body is. That's what Joe Exotic says. Joe Exotic is crazy and he's awesome. So Star Wars, we've established in talking about the planet Bocades. Okay. Star Wars is a big planet, right? Or a big planet, a big galaxy. <laughs> There's a big galaxy, right? There's 
I mean, it's a galaxy, so by definition, it's pretty big. <laughs> and there's a lot of strange creatures. Yeah. In this in this galaxy, right? Mm-hmm. So they, Carla, my my wife just walked in. <laughs> James, you need right now to tell your wife exactly what you are talking to me about. Carla, we have a segment called "It's Gonna Be Great." <laughs> Where we, we come up with unexplored We come up with unexplored topics oh, in the man. Star Wars universe and like turn them into movies and TV shows and stuff. Oh I can't wait to see so the reaction to this. There is a there's a creature in Star Wars called the Tauntaun. Right? That's the one that Luke cuts open and crawls inside of to survive the night on the frozen planet. Do you remember that? Actually, actually Han Solo cuts him open. Thank you. So my idea for a show that we can introduce in the Star Wars universe is called Tauntaun King. And what it is, is it's a documentary miniseries about a small number of exotic creature collectors and the complicated relationships and rivalries between them. I got lost at Tauntaun King. What does it sound like? Well, first of all, Tauntaun sounds like that thing that you used to use to navigate. Tom Tom. <laughs> yep. It does. But it's an exotic pet. Tauntaun King. You don't think of the Tiger King? Oh, uh, no. Wow. <laughs> I'm basically imagining Star Wars, like Tiger King in the Star Wars universe. Tell me that if you were in a galaxy far, far away, that you wouldn't watch that. If I was in a quarantine, yes. See? <laughs> That means she'd watch it. <laughs> she must be so proud. So proud. So proud of what? Of me. Uh, so, mark it down. Tauntaun King. You can have one like Tauntaun Farm that's manned by an Ugnaught. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he hates like a rival Twi'lek who has a, another zoo mm-hmm. with a weird animal. Name a weird animal in Star Wars. I, oof, I'm blinking. Tauntaun is like always like the go-to. How about like, <laughs> how about like, I don't know if banthas are uh, like pets. They're the big like like mammoth looking things. There you go. Sure, why not? Yeah. If they were in a zoo, I'd go. Well, I mean, it's ethically, ethically questionable at this point. Yeah. Would you get bantha milk? Uh, certainly would. That's the blue milk. That is. Oh, then I wouldn't. Because I didn't when I had the chance. <laughs> okay. So all that said, if you have all these weird characters who are taking care of weird creatures and you see the rivalries between them and it's all set in Star Wars, you can't tell me that you wouldn't be all over that. No, not, not, not for sure. I, I would. Oh, you would. But only in Star Wars, not in, not in real life. So you're telling me you'd watch Tauntaun King. I would watch Tauntaun King, but I would not watch Tiger King. Oh, that should change. It really should. You, you know what Tauntauns look like, right? From Hoth? In episode, I do. Episode five. Um, yes. I want to send you a picture of a of a tauntaun. Nah, I want to get your opinion of what kind of stands out in terms of making it a good zoo animal. <laughs> uh, his tail definitely stands out. Okay. Um, it has massive feet. Those things are huge. Yeah, they gotta they gotta they gotta gotta go fast like Sonic. Yep. Yeah, like Sonic. Does Sonic have big feet? These. I've just noticed how much Sonic looks like a Tauntaun. Really? I'm kidding. No. 
Oh, I was like, like Sonic before the redesign in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Remember when Sonic had horns coming out the side of his head? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the horns, they're they are very strangely placed. Like, why would they be, like, in front of its mouth like that? Like, I don't know. That yeah. would be, like, an inconvenient, wouldn't it? It would. I'd, hmm. I'd have a hard time eating anything if I had horns in front of my mouth like that. Yeah. Oh, All right. Sure. Um, so, what do I notice? Should I be noticing anything about it? I mean, no, it's got like in particular. It's got like a hairdo. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I would. I would watch a show about about these guys in a zoo. Yeah. Do you think that okay. not because I like animals in captivity, but because the people who would keep them in captivity would be very strange, and it would open my eyes to the injustices of uh, shady zoos. Sure. 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 So. Okay, as someone who is familiar with Tiger King and willing to uh, obviously dialogue sort of the similarities and differences between Tiger King and Tauntaun King, I want to get your reaction to a segment, sorry, a section on Wikipedia uh, on the page for Tauntaun uh, that is titled Domestication. Mm. And this is what it says. It says Tauntauns could be domesticated for various purposes. When the Alliance established their new headquarters on Hoth, they utilized the native Tauntauns as mounts owing to the planet's cold temperatures, occasionally shutting down their airspeeders in the morning. Kept in pens, the Tauntauns were ultimately released from captivity when the Empire invaded the planet. Is there any element of that paragraph that either in a positive sense you say, oh, that sounds like a good element, positive possible thing of Tauntaun King or are there any parts on the other hand that say oof this is a problem this show won't work the first thing that comes to mind is a problem okay like what makes the tiger king compelling and like a tiger zoo compelling tigers aren't domesticatable yeah they shouldn't be domesticated right I mean you don't see a lot of people going to, to cow zoos <laughs> I mean you just don't but I mean they're weird animals mm-hmm um, I could see there being like Tauntaun rides for kids. I could see there being like a rodeo, like a Tauntaun rodeo. Yeah. You know, there's lots of things that you could do for entertainment. I think it's great to have a Tauntaun sort of ride for, for kids, especially mm-hmm. considering that according to Wikipedia, Tauntauns are able to run at speeds of up to 90 kilometers per hour. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I'd watch that. Yeah, that's. I'd watch that all day. <laughs> that's about uh, that. That translates to about fifty-five miles per hour. Yeah, I would it love sounds... to just you know strap a kid on and just say, "Hey, have fun." There's <laughs> uh, just vomit hurling <laughs> all over the, the place. Wind, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then you could have the Tauntaun cold simulator. Uh-huh. Where they put you in a freezing cold room with a tauntaun that's just been sliced open. Oh, that would be and wonderful. And you crawl inside of it for warmth and you, yeah. you like test it out. Yeah. It says here also uh, that in the chilling extremes of the night on the planet Hoth, the cold uh, could reach negative 60 degrees Celsius. Uh, let me see what that is in American degrees. Can you ask Siri? 60 degrees Celsius is either either warmer or way colder. It's colder. It's it uh negative 60 degrees Celsius is negative 76 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. 
Yeah, so that could be a cool part of this whole amusement park where they get a room down to negative 76 and then they mm-hmm. just throw also kids in there. Also kids. Just the kids, though. Yeah. Yeah, after after they're on the ride. That's right. It's just a miserable time for them. <laughs> yeah, they get both ends of the thermodynamic spectrum. Um, yeah. I think now that Disney owns Star Wars, this is, I think, a really plausible sort of um yeah avenue for them to pursue right i mean from yeah. a from an amusement park. in the wild animal kingdom there yeah. oh that's true disney i don't animal think tauntauns would do well in in orlando no they'd be a little warm wouldn't they they would mm. yeah. but that's the only logistical barrier to this but can you tell let, let me tell you this if disney's running this this zoo i ain't watching a documentary about it because they're going to be all concerned about the law, and they're going to yeah, be like they're going to be actually like, taking care of the animals. You need to have a really weird person who's running the zoo as like even a way to stick it to the establishment, and then to try to run for governor. <laughs> there you go. Joe Exotic did that, by the way. Oh, I'm assuming so with the fact that you're like describing it, but yeah, 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 yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So sorry, Disney. I'm not watching that show. Not happening. Yeah. <laughs> you want to watch Tiger King now, don't you? I don't, actually. A um, couple behind-the-scenes factoids about Tauntauns. Um, they were originally, um, they were originally con- uh, conceptualized to look more like giant rats that would walk on their hind, hind two legs. Wow. Um, so, yeah, they would just literally look like giant rodents. That's scary. Uh, yeah. And then there was another, a second concept that made it look more reptilian, um, hmm. almost like a, almost like a, like a dinosaur, like very scaly. Um, and then finally the final, the, in the final cut of, uh, episode five, the sounds of the Tauntauns were created from the recordings of an Asian sea otter. Interesting. Yeah. I, I actually noticed that the first time I heard a Tauntaun, I'm like, wait, is that an Asian sea otter? Yeah. Whoa. That wait, no. Is that an Amer no, that's Asian. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell the difference between different sea otters from around the world in their yeah. sounds. You can. Yeah. And and I've always known that. Yeah, oh for sure. I'm yeah. glad it's not just me. It sounds much different from the Indian subcontinent sea otter. Hey, you need to add a sound of a Tauntaun cry in post. Okay. I can do that. I will be adding that right here. Wasn't that wasn't that such a good sound, James? It was beautiful. It brought tears to my eyes. The beautiful noise of an Asian sea otter. Destroy the Shield Generator is created by Joseph Jasper and James Walker. Our theme music is produced by Roy Thompson, who's better known as Royish Good Looks. You can support him through the links in our show notes. Join us next time on Destroy the Shield Generator. But until then, always remember... It's going to be great.